Morning, everyone. This is, uh, thanks, Anson Josie, for that. It was lovely. Just spending time in his presence. Uh, yeah, and it's good to be here. Uh, really, really, it's good to be here. I feel so much of our heart has was deposited in here for many years. It's probably more the deposit, what happened in this, in this uh, congregation in our hearts, because we came to this congregation after having planted the church in Mossel Bay. We were there for 11 years, and then we handed the church over there. And when you're in the mix of church planting, and it, we're going through a very difficult time, you don't always realize um, the difficulty that you were in. <laughs> And how empty actually were. Giving, giving a lot. And um, coming to City Bowl, we just came to the place of understanding and just that filling and that um, uh, revitalizing that was so needed. Only when you're out of the situation, you realize the fullness of what a body carries to put into you. You realize you need that. And I still need it. And you and I still need what what the church can place into our hearts individually and then what we can do. And that's a lot of what this morning was all about, hey? We have this access to Jesus and he wants to fill us and then he wants us to overflow into the lives of others. So yeah, so that's us. Um, I think uh, we love the church. I, I felt, uh, Kim and I both feeling the same kind of message I'm going to get her to share in a moment's time. Uh, but there's something, I've been saved um, in April, uh, what's it, 1922, I've been saved for 54 years. And I'm, after last night I was thinking at the gathering, I thought I'm more passionate about God's church and about his people, about what God wants to do through his church than ever before. And most of you, I believe, are a little bit younger than I am. And my prayer is that the deposit that is left by us who try and help uh, people fit into, uh, come into slipstreams will run further, harder, faster, extend God's kingdom far greater than Kim and I ever could do. That's the way God works. And uh, been married for 40 years. Okay. You would never say that because I look very young. I'm only joking. No. Kim, Kim is still ravishingly beautiful. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it is lovely. Um, and so we've been feeling this word on our hearts. I'm going to get Kim to share just what she's been feeling. It was something which was stirred her heart uh, to share for, uh, with, the, um, with the, all the kids' church workers uh, about a month ago. And uh, it's that something that's kept, you, you asked me, what's, what's kept me and what's kept Kim for the many years? And it's the message you want to bring you. Uh, this morning, about living a life that's worthy of the call of God on our lives, and that's what it's all about. So, Kim, I want to just hand over to you. Yeah, it's an incredible privilege to be here today. Um, the face of this congregation has changed substanti substantially since we were here. But I want to say that I don't know why today I'm feeling particularly emotional. And I think it's because I feel like the Lord has given me an incredible love for you. But it's his love for you. And I don't know why I feel to say this. I really feel the Lord wants to impress upon you guys today, each one of you, 
that he sees you and that he knows you. And um, at the, uh, actually on the 31st of December last year, the Lord spoke to me from Ephesians 4 verse 1 about living a life worthy of the calling. And, and every year, the Lord seems to give me something for that year. And it feels like it's prophetic for me for that year. But often it, it expands further and it feels like it becomes prophetic. And um, last year it was Psalm 23, and I just continued to see it break out in different contexts as people were almost meditating on that psalm. Um, I then uh, wrote that down as a prophetic for me for this year, but I, I do want to say that I did not know that Dan preached on this in the 412 conference because I wasn't there in the main tent. I was with the little ones who count so much. And, um, yeah, so that's where we were. But um, I really felt the Lord lay that on my heart, that we need to live a life worthy of the calling. And I think it's really important. I'm going to read to you the amplified version of Ephesians 4 verse 1. And it says this, So I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you, and some of them say beg you, to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is, to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. Incredible, hey? What, what, what an incredible privilege that we have been called into the presence of a very holy God. And that we get to serve him and his people because of that. What an awesome privilege. Sometimes I think, and I, I felt the, the Holy Spirit impress on me this thing. We forget that we are called to be a holy nation, a people that are set apart for God. And this year the Lord has been really impressing upon me that thing of holiness, of that understanding that we must never take for granted the privilege that we have of the curtain being torn in two. Because sometimes I think we become so familiar with God that we bombastically go into his presence without thinking about the holiness of the God into whose presence we are, are going. So that word worthy, it comes from the Greek word axiom, which means a balance. And so it's a balance of our calling together with the work that we do. Our daily living needing to match our spiritual position. And so I, I really felt the Lord um, impressing upon me prophetically for this year. And it was before I knew about what we are facing, um, just some of the persecutions as a church. But I felt the Lord calling us to a place of being able to stand firm and strong in the face of adversity. 
But we could never stand firm and strong in the face of adversity if we don't understand that we have been called from something to somebody, a holy God, for a purpose. Okay, so I really felt that. And I, I, I realized too, and this is the Lord... Um, I realized that when I got born again 46 years ago, it was a very different culture then to what is prevalent now. In some ways, the culture in South Africa, anyway, at that time, was more leaning towards Judeo-Christian values. So being born again, although, I mean, you realize the world was the world, it was very it wasn't that vastly different to what my new frame of reference was. But I understand now that for many of you, the culture which is very foreign for me has become many of you young people's norm. And so it's not just fighting against a... Um, it's not fighting for a new culture, kingdom culture. It's almost having to stand in the face of the media and the social media's consistent um, blasting forth of what culture should look like today. And as I look across here, I realize that it's not just Western culture stuff. Understand that for many of you coming out of more traditional cultures where there is stuff that you guys are having to overcome to live in the fullness of kingdom culture. And sometimes that is exceptionally hard because as you take on kingdom culture, you sometimes have to bear with the fact that alienation comes. People, family don't understand. But I want to say this. I felt God remind us that we are called into a new identity in him. We be before we do. And for many of us, it might be that we do in order to be. In other words, we feel like everything that we do will bring us into relationship with him. But honestly, actually, relationship with him leads to the doing. And so I honestly felt the Lord say that he wanted to remind us that if we're going to stand, we stand in our identity with God, understanding that we are called as a holy nation to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are called to that. And it's not about Knowing your Bible well, that's important. But it's very important that we have an intimate relationship with the God of the Bible. That we, we have places of refreshing and intimacy of an, on a daily basis with the God of the Bible. And then out of that place, out of that place, as we experience him and are refreshed by him and understand who we call to and who we are in him, that we begin to serve. And we begin to serve primarily with love. That is the banner that covers us, love. The fruits of the Spirit empower our giftings. 
without the fruit of the Spirit empowering our gifting, we... So I just honestly felt that um, the, the Lord wanted to remind us again that we serve out of a place of identity, understanding with love, and we're aware as, as um, Liz, sorry Liz, um, as Liz prophesied today, that there are distractions that can inhibit that serving, and those need to be laid down so that we can serve him in spirit and in truth, and that when all else is done, that we're able to stand. We're able to stand as we are in a deeper understanding of whose we are and what we're called to. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Kim. Don't know if you feel the weight of what God's called us to. It's incredible. So I'd love to, uh, to take us on a journey today through the book of Philippians. Because I want to just share with you on my heart about what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. Or worthy of the calling that God's placed on our lives. But before I actually go into the book of Philippians, I'd like to show you a bit of a video, if I may. Have you got ready with that, that video? Sorry. Just before everyone, you just acknowledge and you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Okay, do you? Say yes, do you? Can everyone hear you? Yes. Okay, cool. You've accepted Jesus into your heart. Okay. Well, in front of everyone, I uh, baptize you, Harper. Harper. <laughs> Harper Ryan Double. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So those of you who don't know, that happened about three weeks ago. It's my grandchild. The same gospel that saved her, saves you and me. The same gospel that keeps, is going to keep her, is going to keep you and me to the end. And I felt it would be good just to deposit something of the beauty and the glory of the magnificent gospel. Before we start, let me just get my notes here. Put my timer on, just so I don't want to go over time. So I just want this deposit that, if anything else, that I want you this morning to go out full, full of passion, full of joy, because of what we have in Jesus. In Jesus. And um, so Paul writes to the Philippians, uh, and he says this in chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for all for you all are partakers with me in this grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with affection of Christ. That's my prayer for myself, for all of us. 
I want, just as thinking, Paul wrote this letter from, from prison to a church that he planted himself. So Paul goes to Philippi, and in that, in that place he meets a wealthy businesswoman who is seeking God. Her name was Lydia. He preaches gospel, shares the truth, shares what it looks like, and she gets radically saved with, all, with her whole family. He then goes walking down the street and a demonized slave girl used and abused, filled with shame, going nowhere in life, no destiny, no future, had nothing to give in this world. And she's confronted with the beauty of the person of Jesus. She gets saved and she comes into the church. Paul, I think, and Silas it was, I think it was, put into prison and there's a jailer, blue-collar, hard man, beats, beats anyone that he's told to beat. He's like probably drinks a lot and he's a spider-going guy, but he's like this hard, hard, blue-collar kind of worker. He encounters Jesus and gets saved, gets put in the church. And Paul sees him and he says, he sees himself in the light of what Jesus did in his life. I was a murderer. I was someone that persecuted the church. I was someone that hated everyone that chose to follow Jesus. I thought I was doing good, but everything in me was bad. And he sees himself in the light of that. And he sees what Jesus done in the light of the lives of these folk. And he sees grace and mercy. And he sees a slave girl as a partaker in the gospel. He sees a blue-collar worker as a partner in the gospel. The gospel is a message for every single one of us. Amen? The gospel is no respecter of any person. The gospel is simply the most beautiful, beautiful message there is. See, salvation is something that God owes no one, yet he offers to everyone. It's the story of God coming into our lives and God impressing his love upon our lives and we responding to him. What a beautiful message, eh? Uh, I am convinced that Harper is going to run much further than Kim and I will ever run because the gospel keeps her. You see, the gospel isn't just a conduit for power. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone and anyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I was thinking about it the other day, and then just get a sip of water, because I'm getting excited here. I love talking about the gospel. No matter what we as Justin going to, as we expand, as we grow, as we're going to this wonderful period of growth and expansion as a church, let us never forget why we are called to expand. Not so that Josh Jen looks good. Not so that we can register 55 congregations. 
and badges. That is not why we're expanding. It's the very message that carries, the only message that can transform individuals and change communities and turn cities upside down. It is the only message. The gospel message. And it is the only gospel me- it's, it's the only message, the only power that will keep us in our imprisonment, in our opposition, in the persecution that we face. The gospel simply is the foundation on which every one of us need to forge and get our roots into. It's a little bit of what Kim was saying. I was thinking, just as I was preparing this message, that if we understand how, we need to first of all understand how bad the bad news is, to be able to understand the good news. And at one stage, I think some of us think, well, the bad news is that one day in eternity, if you haven't acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll be separated from God forever. Am I right? That is the truth. But I want us just in a fresh way to understand what separation from God looks like. Everything that is good. Everything that is love. Everything that is peace and joy. Everything that God is and represents through all eternity, His sovereignty, His rule, His love, you will be separated from anything and everything that is good. You'll not only be separated from all the goodness of God, but you'll be in a place where a third of the demonic realm exists. Where all the shame, all the hatred, all the pain, all the murder, the jealousy, the anger, the factions, the hatred, it's there, present. And the, the Bible says there'll be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not just you not cease to exist. You exist in the place of everything that is evil, everything that God is hateful. You don't want anyone to go there. <laughs> this is not just the absence, separation of God. It's, and if you today don't know that you're going to heaven to be with Jesus with everything that is good, and you're not sure, today we're going to give you an opportunity later that you can be sure that you will be put in God's house and part of God's family. Amen? Amen? Sure. Sorry, I'm passionate about this. God paid the highest price for our salvation and provided the greatest power in the, in the resurrection through the Holy Spirit so that we can live out our salvation in victory. There are two kinds of, uh, there are two kinds of uh, Christians or two kinds of banners which uh, Christians walk under, and that's what Kim actually alluded to straight away. It's called the banner of do and the banner of done. Those who live under the banner of do feel like we need to do everything we can to find our righteousness, to find our acceptance, to find our belonging, to find our purpose. There's more we need to do. And then there are those that operate from it's done. We are those that need to understand that what Jesus did is more than enough. It's done. Our righteousness is secured. Our righteousness is assured 
our place and our, our relationship, the curtain torn. It's not just about going into the presence of God. It's about having an encounter with the personal God who wants a relationship with us. That is the gospel. That's the good news. It's, it's a perpetual place of the presence of God. We need to live in this place of understanding that what Jesus did is a completed work. And because of the completed work, that is what defines our lives. That defines who we are. Amen? You with me? I want to just read some stuff. As I was preparing, I feel they come across as just some of the stuff that are written here. We are, we are set free from the pressure of performance of the law and the pretense of the pleasures of the world. The gospel frees us completely. That was last night was all about, eh? The gospel frees us completely. There is a measure of no condemnation. No? Romans 8. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not prisoners out on parole. We are set free. Fully accepted children of God. Counted innocent before perfect judge. Compelled to love him extravagantly and empowered to serve him eternally. So many of us live our Christian lives like a prisoner's out on parole. But the gospel declares you and I innocent. When we didn't deserve it, none of us deserved God's love. Only mercy. Only mercy. Amen? I felt just to share this as a, as a foundation for the book of Philippians, because I want you to understand, this is what, as Paul was writing to those believers, he saw the people he baptized, he saw the people, he saw the harper, and he saw all of you guys getting baptized, and everyone, and he, and he saw. And that's what God sees. He sees every single one of us. See, the gospel is for everyone. Andrew spoke to us as leaders a while back about every person matters. Every person counts. The lost sheep. We need to keep a heart. This is where we are all, all the time. That the gospel is the only message we carry. You with me? I wrote this down. The gospel power is unchallengeable. His purpose unchangeable. And his love unconditional. We are his treasured children. Who can stop the Lord's call upon our lives? He's all we need. See, Paul's encounter wasn't an encounter with a voice. Paul's encounter wasn't an encounter with black and white in the Bible. As Kim was saying. His life changed when he met Jesus. Who are you perse uh, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Jesus? This is what it's about. I'm a, I love the Word of God. But if I don't know the God of the Word, then it's just reading a lovely story. Only Jesus can transform us. The gospel transforms sinners separated from God and destined for eternal destruction into a passionate community of God, chases, devoted to one another and destined for eternal glory. Oh, the gospel <laughs> is so good. It's not just 
good news. It's not just like I heard Man United won yesterday. That's good news for me. <laughs> no, it is like it's good because it's perfect. Because it's rooted in the perfect Father. It's absolutely beautiful beyond understanding, yet we receive it. And he calls us to live a compelling destiny and love and passion for him. That's, that's what he called us to. And then I wrote down these things. Just I think it's up here somewhere. The gospel decides our eternity. Once you put your life in Jesus' hands and made him Lord of your life, your eternity is secure. Settle it. Amen? Amen. Same all of you say after me, my eternity, my eternity. is secure. Is secure. One, day, One day, I'm going to be with him. Be yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. Your eternity is secure, man. And it's with God and all the goodness that he is. The gospel defines my identity. The moment I receive Jesus into my life, I become his, his child. I had a picture this morning I was just sharing at the prayer meeting of uh, that scripture that you know um, where it says where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Uh, this picture of God saying, I haven't come down amongst them to be frowning, to be finding fault, to be actually looking for mistakes, to criticize, to judge. I've come down as if I'm a loving father and watching you play football. And say, go boy, go girl, pass the ball, score, yes! That's, we've done it together, we're a team and when we score, we hug one another. And when the opposition happens to score a goal against the run of play, he says, come on, we can do this, together. Father, urging us on, encouraging us, we or a new identity. Now I need to take a... <laughs> Whew, I'm getting excited. <laughs> this is who you are. It's what defines us. You belong. You've got a place. The gospel describes our destiny. Our mission is not just to be a, a radical bunch of passionate people. That might look like that C word, may I mention it, yeah? Just passionate people getting together. We're not just a passionate people in a club. Club, okay, let's call it a club, not a cult. We'll call it a club. That's not us. We have got an eternal mission. And it's the carriers of the power of God, carriers of the person of Jesus into our world. And finally... Gospel will declare our legacy one day when we leave this earth. What is the fragrance of the deposits that you and I will leave? Changed lives. Changed lives. The gospel message, the person of Jesus having changed one life at a time and another and another and another. You and I can't change people. That's why I say the gospel is the power. It's not about me preaching a good word. It's not about good teaching and equipping. These are all tools to make the gospel be more effective and to grow us, to become more like Jesus. That is what the gospel does in us when we understand the mercy and the love of the gospel. Cool? 
The gospel is good news. Okay. So now I'm going to go. I'm going to give you four qualities out of the book of Philippians. And I want you to understand, I'm not going to use other scriptures. I'm just going to take one part of the scripture in every chapter to give you what I feel is four qualities of a Christian who lives out the calling of God. Who lives out, who lives a life worthy of the calling of God. And... It's not a total exegesis, okay, you with me? Or you know what that mean, what it means? It's not, I'm not going to go line for line. This is going to give it to you, and hopefully there's a deposit. And you need to ask yourself, as I'm sharing these four things, is that me? Does this define my life? Chapter 1. Chapter 1. For me to live is Christ, is Christ, and to die is gain. Every single one of us, when we encounter Jesus, the message of the gospel need to come to personal conviction by the Holy Spirit that this is the truth and I need it. Although I don't deserve it, God offers it. And here I am. I need to come to this place where understanding that a life that's worthy of the calling is a life that's sold out for Jesus. Boots and all. I'm in. Gospel is you're either in or you're out. The response to that. It's no kind of, let me give this part of my life, let me give you that part of my life. The response to the gospel is a personal conviction for me to live is Christ and to, do, to die is gain. You see, Paul is writing from prison and he sees inexplicable mercy, but he also sees eternal reward. He sees the mercy on his life right there sitting in prison. He understands the mercy of God in this place of difficulty, of opposition. And he just feels, God, I'm breathing. And as long as I breathe, I understand your mercy. And he says, riding from a place of difficulty. And he says, while I'm breathing, while I'm breathing, I've got breath. I've got a purpose. The prison that God's put me in now is part of God's plan for my life. The opposition that's coming hasn't caught God by surprise. Amen? Hasn't? Oh, dear. There's opposition coming against Josh Chen. Jesus, what should we do? Holy Spirit, let's, let's go down quick. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going to use this for my glory. There's purpose in it. For me to live is Christ, he's saying. Everything I am is for Jesus. Everything I do while I breathe is for his glory. For me to live is Christ. Everything about me is Jesus. Everything about what I give is Jesus. We're ministering the gifts we have, what God has entrusted to us. The prayers we have for one another. In our communities together, what do you have to give? I don't have a prophetic word. Well, just love them. Give them Jesus. Give them a prayer. Give them a scripture verse. Encourage them. For me to live is Christ. Everything, and I'm trusting, I'm growing in that too. That everything about me, as I breathe, (sighs) Jesus, let this day be for you. I'm breathing. Let me represent you well, Jesus. For me to live and to Christ is to die is gain. Uh, then nothing else really matters. Because when I'm in heaven, it's Jesus is there. 
He's right there. So having in me and a measure of him working through me now versus in person. <laughs> totally in glorified Jesus. The one that we see in the book of Revelation, that Jesus. That's the one. I'm amazed. Uh, the, uh, it came up, this, uh, one of the prophetic words was, you all know the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. Hagar was uh, Abram and uh, Sarah's, Sarah's servant. I want you to visualize how the gospel came to her, how Jesus came to her. Uh, uh, what, 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 what? No, Jesus was there, same God, same heart. You can imagine Hagar, she's Egyptian. Sold into slavery by parents, most likely, or orphaned. Became a slave girl, was, was working as a slave, lost her identity, lost her belonging. She was orphaned. She was working as a slave, had the weight of being full of shame in her life. And then they forced her to have intimate connections with Abram. She was sexually abused. She was told she needs there, go sleep with your boss. Have you thought about this Hagar being actually a real person that God sees? God knows and God loves. And there she was, and she falls pregnant, and obviously the pain and the brokenness in her, she responded in, in arrogance and that. And guess what happened? Rejection sent out into the wilderness. Rejected ashamed, pregnant, no, having no father. Can you imagine that context? Can you see the picture of some, a person? A person. And she's on her own in the desert, going nowhere in life, broken. And on that road, the father hears her cry. And he steps into her life. And he says, Hagar, that child you're carrying... I'm going to bless you. It's going to be blessing. And he speaks blessing. And there's a bit of a mixture at the end if you see what happens. But, but God sees her. Hagar is the only person, and it happens to an Egyptian woman, to give God a name. She says, you are the God who sees. That came up this morning, huh? You're the God who sees me. And she said this at the end. And I've seen the God who sees me. Oh, how beautiful is our God. Steps into our life. How can he not respond with Jesus? For me to live is for you, Christ. And to die is even better. The only thing we're assured of in this life is that we're all going to die one day. And give what you have now, all for Jesus. Okay. Chapter 2. Are you with me? A full conviction, number 1. Chapter 1. Are you, have you got that conviction that Jesus is everything? And it doesn't matter what happens to you in this life, because what happens after this life is much, much infinitely better. Number 2. Chapter 2 is fully devoted to community. And I love this verse, I think, uh, comes from the chapter that Luke was reading this morning. I just want another good bit of water. Have this mind among yourselves, which 
is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes to explain how we are to live out community. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement reading from verse 1 to 4, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one in mind, do, not, do nothing out of self, uh, selfish ambition or va- vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to interests of others. And I think it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then Luke read what followed there, what Jesus did. He didn't grasp. He didn't hold on to what was rightfully his. He gave it all up for you and me. So he says, I want you to see this. Think of our relationships. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me explain that. We have access to the very mind of Christ all the time. So, There's no excuse to say, I'm a black and white person, so I can say as I like. doesn't matter if I hurt someone. Or I can think of some, I can be critical or judgmental of someone because they deserve, they, they hurt me. Or involved in gossip. Or I can't forgive someone because what they've done is unforgivable. I think you get the gist. Whatever we, we say and think in our minds, God says, I want to transform your minds as you live out community because you have been given access to the very mind of Christ. In other words, have Jesus' thoughts. If you don't have a Jesus' thoughts, stop. Um, so by the way, I'm preaching to myself now because <laughs> uh, my social cues aren't always good. <laughs> And I need to sometimes watch. And uh, Jesus, uh, Kim is sometimes Jesus' mind to me. <laughs> you have the mind of Christ. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. I know when it comes to areas of forgiveness, there's hurt and pain that need to be deal- dealt with. I'm not negating that. What I'm saying is we don't have a right to live in unforgiveness and bitterness. We don't have a right to be offended because Jesus was spat upon on the cross he was whipped he was maimed beyond recognition and why did he do that to take every single bit of offense upon himself we should have the mind of Christ in our dealings with one another how are we living how's your words how how are we thinking how can I bless how can I blow wind in yourselves how can I think of the interests of others above myself when it's very difficult. It is not that easy. It's just, but sometimes you just need to stop and say, Lord, am I representing your thoughts for this person right now? In my heart. In my heart. Because it moves from the heart to the head, eh? Lord Jesus, change my heart so I think beautiful thoughts about others. Amen.
Okay, so that's a very short stroke of a people passionate about one another and wanting the best for each other and wanting to serve one another with our gifts and with what we have. That is having the mind of Christ. That's what Jesus did for you and I came to serve. Chapter 3. And I need to start landing now. now. Chapter 3, verse 8. I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verses 2 to 11 says this. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as a loss. Throwing our crowns. Eh? Throwing our crowns. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What is robbing you of your passion for Jesus? What is robbing you of your affection for our Heavenly Father? Paul said, I'm in prison here, but there's nothing that's going to stop me from knowing Jesus more and more and more and more. Jesus is infinitely more than we are, infinitely better, infinitely more glorious than we ever be. We'll never tap into a little bit of who he is. He's simply bigger than the ocean of beauty. And he just wants us to say, Lord, I long for more of you. I, I, there's a desire for me to grow and become more like you, Jesus. This is, this is the passion of my life. This is, this is authentic worship. Not just singing the songs here, but so Yaram, I'll ask you, how full are you of the gospel? So many come to church, on Sunday, using an example, and yes, you've had a tough week. And you feel empty. You feel like you've given out all. And you come, okay, I'm going to church to be filled. Huh? I think it should be something like this. And I understand you have some bad weeks in that. But the general trend of our lives should be, Jesus, I'm full of you. I'm coming to empty myself. Yeah. I'm not coming empty to be filled. I'm coming full to empty myself. Hey, beautiful. How's your passion to know him more? He simply is irresistibly good. One day we're going to stand before God, not with our ministry, not with our gifting, not with my eldership, not with my responsibilities and said, Lord, I've been faithful with everything. I've da- I'm, I'm doing all these things. He's going to say, hmm, I know you. I know you. I know you. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to manage behavior. He wants us to hold on to him and let him change you. It says it a little bit uh, later. I just want to read it, then I'm going to just close with the, with the last chapter very quickly. It says there, I, I think it's verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this, in other words, the fullness of Christ and who is knowing him, or I'm already perfect. I've still got a long way to go. But I press on to make it my own, to, my, my, the, my purpose to know him better and what he wants for my life is the overall motivation for everything I am. But it, it's, I'll never get there until I'm there. 
And I keep going, but it says here, I press on to make it my own, that conviction coming in again. But this is the reason why. Not because of what we do. It says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beautiful. Finally, chapter 4. Maybe, uh, Hans, if you can come up so long. Get some water. If you had to describe the emotion, the one emotion that dominates your life, no matter what personality type you are, see, passion is a choice, not a personality type. What would be the one emotion that describes you? See, chapter 4 is about if we understand the gospel, if we fully understand what God's done for us, if we fully immersed ourselves in the gospel, if we fully immersed ourselves, there's only one outcome, joy. Joy. In the difficult times, Paul was in prison and he says, rejoice, again I say rejoice, and keep on rejoicing, no matter what your circumstances, because your circumstances don't don't determine the level of your joy, but the person with whom you're most in love with determines what your joy levels are like. See, every single one of us need to soak ourselves, immerse ourselves in the beauty of the gospel, and then say, people, come watch me burn. Come watch me burn. That is the joy of the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And I love this. And this is, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That is why we can be joyful no matter what we're going through. No matter what we've been through. No matter who we are. It says they rejoice. Not because I've done well. Not because I'm in a bad place. Not because I'm going through a tough time. Yeah, we rejoice. The Lord is at hand. He's near. Close. And He loves you, man. Loves all of us. How soaked are you in the good news? Are we living out our lives in in full color and passion with everything we have? Do we come to meetings and comms full with the love of Jesus, filled with Him to give the love and show the attitude and the body posture of what Jesus did as we live out together this destiny together? Because it is the glue that holds us together and keeps us together. It is, the, it is the destiny that if we keep walking in this path, it will, the gospel message, the person of Jesus, who he is, will keep us going and we'll be able to persevere no matter what. I trust this has been an encouraged message for you. Because it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful message and it needs to be the passion of our hearts just to see Jesus glorified in us and through the church. So why don't you close your eyes? You know, our lives can change in a second. It was a blinding light 
They changed a murderous, Christian-persecuting man into a God-loving, passionate lover, God-chaser. It was one act in obedience of faith. It was a decision. It was a moment. And his life was changed forever. So this morning, I know there are some visitors here, but even if you've been here a while, and there's so many new faces here, and you may feel this morning that I don't know where I stand with Jesus. I'm not sure. This morning, I can say, number one, if you don't know Him, you've never met Him as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never encountered the purity of love in a person of Jesus, you can do so this morning. And I'm going to do this with the greatest passion because I want to tell you, I don't want to see anyone face the judgment of God and the destruction of those that don't know Him. And I will, every time I preach, I'll endeavor to throw the net out of the gospel of the love of Jesus to bring anyone and everyone and anyone that doesn't know Him, that hasn't put their faith and trust and made Him Lord of their lives to do that. And it's in a moment of faith. And instantly, the love of God, you felt the love of God urging you. To, he's offering you this life. And you say, that's me. I want to receive that. I do not want to go to eternal destruction. I've sinned and I've fallen so far short of the requirement. But God this morning has bridged the gap through Jesus, His Son. And this morning I can come to know Him personally and encounter a loving God, but a holy God who wants to know me intimately and wants to call me to a a destiny and a future that is beyond description. But it's because of Jesus calling on our lives. And if that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus, won't you raise your hand? I'd love us to pray for you. I do not want any moment to go by without giving an opportunity for someone to respond to the gospel. Is there anyone? Beautiful. That's wonderful. 